0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Mind Movement Health Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Boyle, and before we dive into this week's episode, I have a small favor to ask. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, could you please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app that you're listening to now? This tells everybody else that this is a great podcast to listen to. Now, this week on the show, I have a very special guest, Carize Laguia. Now, Carize is a registered dental hygienist and a myofunctional therapist. She founded the Myospot which is a practice aimed at amplifying oral wellness to create whole body wellness. Through teletherapy, she helps clients of all ages overcome tongue ties, TMJ disorders, sleep apnea, grinding, anxiety, and various breathing and orofascial dysfunction. So in my conversation with Carice today, we chat about all these things. We chat about tongue, posture, sleep apnea, breathing, how we can breathe better, and help our oral hygiene at the same time. I hope you enjoy this episode because even though we're talking about the mouth, it still ties in with the whole body, which we're all about here at Mind Movement Health. Okay, let's have a listen in. Hi, I'm Kate Boyle, and welcome to the Mind Movement Health podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you health information from diet and lifestyle to movement and nutrition. My aim is to bring you bite-sized pieces of information that you can instigate into your everyday life to change your health. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm super excited because I know that you're all about breathing and sleeping and dental hygiene and something that's obviously really important for everybody, a really important topic that I don't think's talked about enough. So before we dive in, can you share with listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do?
1: I am a registered dental hygienist and myofunctional therapist. I'm sure we'll dive into what exactly that second part is. I'm a mom of four and I'm super, super passionate about people being able to breathe and sleep well.
0: Which is amazing. And I know we would all love to breathe and sleep well. And there's some secrets, you know, that I'm sure you're going to share today. But can you share with everybody, you know, a little bit more about what a myofunctional therapist is? Absolutely.
1: So I like to compare myofunctional therapy to kind of like being a personal trainer, but a personal trainer limited to only working with muscles below the eyes, but above the shoulders. So I work with the muscles in this wonderful area here, that's going to help to strengthen and coordinate these muscles. And it'll help people who are struggling with Sleep apnea, TMJ, oral facial pain, bruxism, and a variety of different things. So I'm kind of like the person who exercises all those muscles you never think about.
0: Yeah, well, that's it. I'm sure, you know, none of us tend to think about our muscles in our mouth and our jaw. We always think about, you know, when we go to the dentist, you know, have we been brushing our teeth and have we been flossing, but not so much about the muscles.
1: Exactly. And the muscles and how they function are actually incredibly important from when you're young to their impact on how your skeletal development will happen or to when you're older and its impact on your teeth and where they are positioned.
0: Mm, And I don't think that's probably talked about enough, how the breath can be related back to that as well. So can you dive into a little bit more of that too?
1: Absolutely. So breathing for a lot of people, we would assume that the breathing is all about the lungs. But before you even get into the lungs, you have to go through that upper respiratory tract. And the upper respiratory tract is very important that air flows through the nose as our primary respiration. Now, when people are breathing through their mouth, you're missing a whole lot of benefits of breathing. So with the nose, our nose is going to help us to filter the air, warm it, humidify it. It's really going to be the start and the epicenter of where we're going to filter out a lot of the bad things that you don't want in your oxygen as your body is taking it in. And where we produce nitric oxide, which is a wonderful uh, binder that's going to help the oxygen bind to the blood receptors. And so that's going to get your hemoglobin going like perfectly. And so when we're breathing through our mouth we're missing a lot of things. Now we're also doing a lot of bad things and a lot of harm to our body when we're breathing through our mouth not just with the oxygen, but breathing as a whole actually does start with the tongue. So surprise surprise who would think that your tongue's involved with breathing. A lot of people like to think of the tongue as just one big large muscle. In fact, a lot of people have that common myth that your tongue is the largest muscle of your body. Mm -mm. the muscle, the tongue is comprised of eight different muscles that come in pairs. So there's actually 16 different muscles that innervate that tongue. So I like to think of the tongue as an organ. And if it's going to be an organ for anything, it's definitely respiration. So our tongue at rest should sit up against the roof of our mouth while we are breathing that's going to stimulate that nasal floor, our vagus nerve, which we know is so important for vagal tone and our autonomic nervous system regulation. And that's going to really jump start everything that's happening so wonderfully and beautifully in the nose. But nobody would ever think that your tongue is actually a key factor for breathing.
0: And uh, just from my experience from going to the dentist, never has a dentist spoken to me about my tongue position <laughs> at all. Uh, and I've had in busy line because my, when I started getting my wisdom teeth through, things started to move around. Uh, and I think that would be something really beneficial to speak to people about in general.
1: A hundred percent. I have to say that dentistry as a field is. Growing and evolving. And it wasn't until 2017, unfortunately, that it was so late and so recent, that the ADA has actually started to put it into the scope practice for dentists to start looking at the tongues and how everything is working when people are breathing and to look for key signs that somebody might have a breathing disorder or a sleep breathing disorder. And so it is key, it is vital. Dentistry is evolving and I promise you at some point your dentist will ask you many questions about your tongue.
0: (laughs) Maybe eventually. Now I (laughs) want to go back and talk about the difference between nose breathing and mouth breathing. If somebody's listening in and they're like, I am definitely a mouth breather and for whatever reason, how do they go about trying to swap over to nose breathing? Sometimes it's
1: really not as simple as just wanting to nasal breathe. Sometimes there's a reason why you are mouth breathing. And I think that's the first place to start. Sometimes it's physiologically, you cannot nasal breathe. So something may have gone awry in the nasal area. So maybe you have enlarged turbinates or a deviated septum or nasal polyps or inflammation in your sinuses. There's so many things that might be going on there. So where I would start first is I would book an appointment with an otolaryngologist, also known as an ENT, an ear, nose, throat doctor, just to check and see if there's anything going on up there, because the only way to check is to have an ENT scope, or you can go to your dentist if your dentist has a CBCT, uh, cone beam uh, capnometry test, that, that way they can be able to look and see what's going on. So that would be the first step secondarily, while you're waiting for that appointment, because a lot of people have a wait to get into their ENT, start with some good nasal hygiene. Nasal hygiene is the very first step. So if you're not cleaning out your nose, you need to get a daily practice of nasal hygiene going. Saline rinses to wash out the nose. A lot of people have heard of those neti pots. Not the most fun thing to like irrigate your nose with one of those, to so just pour the water up one nostril and allow it to run down the other. It's not the most attractive thing either. <laughs> but saline or an uh, irrigation rinse like a neti pot is a really good place to start.
0: And what about, like I know I have a few friends that suffer from allergies and they have. The nasal sprays they're not the saline they're the you know the pharmaceutical ones what's your take on those ones
1: they're good in short term so if you're on those chronically I would implore you to dig a little deeper because it might not just be allergies like chronic allergies in the truest sense it's very 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 rare if you are on them for extended periods of time Some of those prescription drugs can, you know, prescription sprays, I should say, but they are drugs, they do tend to strip the lining of the nose. And so that makes it even harder for your body to fight off and to, you know, combat and lubricate that lining again and to be able to avoid the histamines that would be causing these actions and congesting you even more. And so they're really good in short term. If you're looking for a product that is going to help you in the long run, like build back up some of that lining, let's say you've been on one for a long time, don't stop it because I am not your medical doctor, consult your medical doctor. However, you can incorporate a nasal saline rinse that has xylitol in it, a really good brand is Clear, it's spelled with an X, X-L-E-A-R. That is actually research and shown to help improve that lining. And so if you get xylitol in your saline spray and you spray that up your nose and it's a daily practice, you can actually build back up some of that height, that um, nasal uh, floor and lining that has been stripped away by all of the prescription drugs.
0: Ah, well, that's a fantastic tip because I know, yeah, quite a few of my friends are often using the sprays and I don't need to, but I, you know, they do use them, you know, long-term. So I think it's something, you know, it's good to know. Now, I know you've written a book. So can you also share with our listeners a little bit more about your book?
1: So I'm super passionate about all of this work that I do with breathing and sleep. And I feel like there's so many tips that are out there. And you go on the internet, you say you're not having good sleep, and they'll tell you, you change your mattress, you change your pillow, you should stop watching you know, TV at a certain time, no blue light. And then when all that stuff doesn't work, everybody's looking like, well, what is it? Like, maybe I just can't sleep. Maybe this is normal. It's not normal, very, very common. A lot of people are struggling with their sleep. In fact, the World Health Organization in 2019 deemed deemed it a global epidemic, to where 45% of the population is struggling with sleep deprivation. So what is the actual like thing that helps us to regulate sleep the best? It's actually the way we breathe. And we're not talking about it enough. And so that's what really prompted me to put all my passion into a book. That way I can get this story out. It was almost like my bullhorn to shout it out. These are the things you can do to help you with your breathing. That way you can improve your sleep, be more productive, show up as your best self, and really get the better part of your life back. And so... Accomplished is the name of the book, How to Sleep Better, Eliminate Burnout and Execute Goals. It's available on Amazon and it is just full of tips, tricks and information that'll actually help you get better sleep without having to buy a whole bunch of new fancy, you know, mattresses, pillows and so forth.
0: Well, you're so right, because we always get told, you know, go back to your sleep routines. But structurally, you know, if there's not something that's, you know, right, or as you said, your breath might not be right, well, that's really fundamental. So all those small changes really aren't going to change that. Now, I know you said in your book that it's estimated that 20% of the population suffer from a sleep breathing disorder. That's one in five. That's super high.
1: Yes, the CDC uh, was actually the people who put that out, the Centers for Disease Control. And that is incredibly high. That means that if you are in a room with 10 people, two of you are struggling. And that is a percentage that we don't need because we know that poor sleep is linked to poor immunity. It's linked to a lot of our cognitive decline. So when we talk about dementia and Alzheimer's, it's definitely linked to cardiac disease and poor cardiac function, diabetes. There is a whole wealth of information on how it affects your digestive system. And so we need to all be getting the best sleep that we can, because we can't risk having a higher chance of acquiring all of those types of diseases.
0: Well, I know even in my family, uh, there's people with sleep apnea. I teach a lot of clients that uh, have sleep apnea and they're on CPAP machines, um, or they've moved, they've tried the CPAC and then they've gone to, you can get like, um, what are they called? Dental um, dentures, kind of like a plate thing that you put oh, in sleep instead. Yeah. So they've moved from the CPAC to that and they're trialing that. So, you know, if somebody has either a partner or a loved one that may have sleep apnea, what can they sort of share with them that may help with their breath and their sleep?
1: that it's a lot more than just a device can offer you. So if we were to take an analogy, let's just paint a little picture for us. Let's take two people. Let's take one that has a bit more of a beer belly and let's lie that person down and back. Everything is gonna shift in that uh waist area. Everything is going to shift, right? You know, that belly's not going to be out front and round and it's going to stay. It's actually going to, with gravity, move. And so things will shift. Let's take somebody now that has six-pack abs, nice, toned, well-developed muscles, and we're going to lie them down. Those abs don't actually shift anywhere, do they? Like, the abs don't start to separate and fall out to the side as the beer belly would. Well, that's the kind of thing that you can imagine is happening in your throat as you are going to sleep if you have obstructive sleep apnea. The very first stages of sleep are for all the muscles to relax. And so what happens is you're lying back, we've got gravity, and we have all the muscles relaxing. So now what's happening is that you've got kind of like a beer belly throat, for lack of a better word, right, because you're not utilizing those muscles We Spoke earlier about how nobody thinks about these muscles, so you're not utilizing them or optimizing them by actually regularly exercising them. Now you're laying back, and all of that is just falling on itself, which is the obstruction in obstructive sleep apnea, so that you're not breathing as well. So what a CPAP does is a CPAP is a continuous positive airway pressure machine that's just going to forcibly hold open those muscles by shooting air. Down the throat. So your airway is going to be full of air, and therefore those muscles can't meet. A sleep apnea device is going to shift your mandible forward. So one of those dental devices, it's going to shift your mandible forward. And that's going to give you more room so that those muscles are less likely to close off. But when you think about something like myofunctional therapy, that's something where now we're able to work those muscles and get them engaged and give you more of what would be like a six pack app lying back where you're less likely to close. And so it's a bit more natural and a little bit less forced way to keep you open. So there are alternatives out there. There are options out there.
0: And when somebody may be exploring that, is that when they would see I a myofunctional therapist and start to work on their tongue and their breathing and that as well?
1: Yes. Yeah, so if you're starting to see that you have obstructive sleep apnea or you've been diagnosed, that's a great time. Uh, myofunctional therapy has been very well researched to help people with mild to moderate obstructive sleep apnea. When it's severe, it winds up being a little bit more out of the scope of myofunctional therapy. There's a lot more going on there, but mild to moderate, very, very good. It can help. when you're thinking about, Oh, well, I wonder if I have obstructive sleep apnea. A lot of people wind up reaching out before they even go to see a sleep physician or to get a diagnosis to see if they can be on the front end and be more preventative. If they see they're doing something like, clenching or grinding their teeth at night, snoring, tossing and turning, because having a more open airway just by doing the exercises is going to help you to be able to stay in it and sustain wonderful, restful sleep.
0: So what would a typical sort of myofunctional therapy session with you look like when you were starting to see a client? Oh, that's a great question.
1: So it's a lot of exercises and activities. So let's take uh, a particular exercise. Well, just to be as simple as possible, we do do a lot of exercises where we might be humming or gargling. When we're humming and we're gargling, that's a great way to open up that airway and to get those pharyngeal muscles really going. That whole area is going to kind of light up and those muscles will contract and constrict when you are humming. So, being able to hold and sustain a hum, can you hum for a duration of a minute? Can you gargle for a whole minute? Can you open up those airways in that type of um, really functional capacity? And so we're starting to do things that are going to manipulate the tissues in a lot of different ways. And a lot of times it's not overly difficult. It's just tiring because it's just like when you go to the gym and you have arm day or leg day, and then the next day you wake up and you're like,
0: oh, I'm feeling it. It's the same thing. It's just a little higher up in the body. So this is probably a random question then, but... Do you find uh, people that sing or you obviously work those muscles any differently, that they have less issues with their sort of breathing and sleep? Or is there any correlation with that at all?
1: There are some correlations, yes, between people who do active singing exercise because there's a lot of vocal exercises and vocal cords coaches who do have uh, better airways, for lack of a better way of me describing that. So they have really good airways, and it does help for them. Um, I will say that sometimes there are factors that, you know, are overlooked, such as like a tongue tie, which might be limiting some of the function of the posterior tongue muscles and some of the, you know, lining of the walls. And so there's some things to be considered. But for the most part, yes,
0: Hmm. very
1: random question, but completely on the right track.
0: Well, I when you were just talking about the humming, I thought, oh, that's an interesting thought that I've actually never sort of thought about before. Uh, but just touching on the tongue ties, I know my girls are seven and nine. And when I had them in the hospital, there seemed to be a really big sort of um, push around the tongue ties and checking that they were breastfeeding correctly and didn't have a tongue tie And I would say, you know, out of my mother's group and that probably erring on the side of if there was a slight tongue tie, they would correct it there in the hospital, like more than what I would have thought was potentially necessary. Um, What's your take on tongue ties and, you know, how do they affect people with their breathing and that as well? Uh,
1: Tongue ties. Okay, so let's go back to the fact that the tongue, I believe is a respiratory organ. Okay, Uh, that's debatable. But the tongue, since it has to be up against the palate at rest, it's very hard or difficult to do that if your frenum, which is the string that really connects the floor of your mouth to the base of your tongue, if that string is short, or restrictive. So if it restricts your movement and the mobility of your tongue, and you cannot get your tongue to sustain being up against the palate. So the palate is the roof of the mouth, just so I'm not confusing everybody. And the tongue, we want to be lightly suctioned up there. So we need the tongue to be suctioned from just beyond the two upper front teeth, all the way back through to the soft palate. So that tongue has to be really filling the entirety of the roof of the mouth, that palate. And so with a tongue tie, it's very difficult to do that. It also does restrict the tongue from doing other movements. So it may impact the way your tongue is when you're swallowing, when you're chewing food, when you're digesting. It's going to impact a lot of different things that you wouldn't even think about. There is the possibility for speech to be impacted by the tongue tie as well. Um, so there's a lot of different things that might come up. I will say though, that with babies, a lot of times there is the preventative factor. We never know. I like to say that it's not a tongue tie unless there's a functional problem with babies. A lot of times if they're latching, well, there might not be a functional problem. Does that mean that there won't be one in the future? Who knows? None of us have crystal balls. So sometimes some of the releases done on babies are just done preventatively in hopes that they can avoid issues in the future. Uh, But I really think it's important for us to do as much work as we can to really stay as educated and on top of it. It's so easy to heal when you're a baby. And so it's better to release it when you're young. But I also do prefer to wait for functional issues to pop up because it is a surgery. You never want to do elective surgery if you don't have to.
0: So you people as adults will go in and have like a tongue tie released if they've got issues then?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Lots of them. And they wish that they had done it a lot sooner in their life or that it was done when they were younger. But, you know, it's something where over time, a lot of this dysfunction if you can't use your tongue properly as a child, it only compounds all as you get older. And so when you're older, and it's a lot worse, and it's obstructive sleep apnea, and you've never been able to take a really good breath out of your nose, and you're having all these issues between digestion or heart disease and so forth. It's significantly a game changer to release the tongue.
0: Hmm. Well, that's really interesting. And I think it's Good food for thought for people listening in because it may be an area that they haven't even thought about before, too.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Hi, everyone. I'm interrupting this podcast to let you know that this week is Paleo Valley's 10 year anniversary. Now, to celebrate, they're offering a huge discount on their entire store and a free gift with any purchase. So when we say every product is on sale, I really mean it. This week only, you can get up to 35% off all their products. Now, you guys know I love Paleo Valley. They're the vitamins that I take. I take their vitamin C, their turmeric, their whey protein powder, and their organ complex. Now, their vitamins are made from whole food sources, and they are really Sustainably and well-made products, which I can't say is the case when it comes to all vitamin products. They're not all cremated equal, but Paleo Valley really are amazing and are the ones I take personally. So I wanted to let you know about this sale. So to check out all the details, to you get your discount and your free mystery gift, then head on over to the show notes and click the link. Now, what should our posture look like? Like we've just talked about the tongue position itself, but is there a certain posture with our neck and our jaw? You know, a lot of people talk about where the teeth should sit in that as well. Yeah. So the teeth should be slightly apart. And so your jaw, your teeth
1: are not supposed to be touching outside of when you're chewing. Uh, If you're teeth are touching at normal rest posture, then you're probably clenching. You're probably causing a lot of wear. The forces of occlusion are very, very strong. I don't know if anybody's been bitten ever. As a dental professional, I've definitely been bitten. (laughs) But if you've ever been bitten, (laughs) you know that those are tough forces. That's what we use to chew up meat and tough foods. And so if those teeth are together all the time, you're doing a lot of wear and damage to not just your teeth, but the bone you're denigrating underneath there as well, causing gum disease and other forms of things. So we want our jaw to be at rest, teeth slightly apart, two to three millimeters apart. It's not a wide gaping distance, but it is that they're going to be lightly apart. We want our lips to be closed and our tongue to be suctioned up. And that's really proper oral rest posture.
0: Mm, I'm sitting here trying to work out what my posture is just normally. And I don't, I feel, I have tongue tied. So I feel the front of my tongue touch my palate, but not the back. And I definitely think that my teeth rest together uh, majority of the time because I find if they're slightly apart, I find it hard to connect my lips at the front. Like I feel like my mouth would be slightly open. Ah, uh, yeah, you probably could benefit from myofunctional therapy. Yeah, thinking about it, I'm like, I think I could be the perfect patient. <laughs> now, uh, in your book also, you talk about peppermint oil and eucalyptus oil um, in relation to our breath. I know eucalyptus, you know, as you're a child, you know, um they my mum used to put on like eucalyptus in the uh, um like a essential oil to help 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 open up airways, but can you explain a little bit more about the benefits of peppermint and eucalyptus oil?
1: Yeah, peppermint and euclip this oil are amazing. If anybody diffuses or if you use nasal aromatherapy inhalers, those are wonderful ways to, yes, open up the airway and definitely to kind of open up uh, all of you. Honestly, the peppermint oil will help with dilation of the blood vessels. It's going to open everything up and it's going to help you really absorb that a lot better too. And so I really like a good nasal aromatherapy inhaler that contains at least those two. There are other types of oils that help in conjunction, but eucalyptus and peppermint oil are a absolute must.
0: Yeah, well, I often, um, when I'm teaching in the studio, I'll often have peppermint oil um, going. I find it's almost a bit like relaxing. Most people like it. I know it's good for um, digestion and stomach upsets and stuff too. And it tends to be one of those scents that isn't too strong and overpowering. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely, and so I enjoy it for that. When you combine it though with a little bit of menthol, it's like the perfect, the perfect scent. Mm. I don't know.
0: I'm going to have to add that in. <laughs> I'll give it a try and see how we go. Now, when it comes to our sleep position, whether or not we're a back sleeper or a side sleeper or a tummy sleeper, does that change our breathing and airways as well? It does. So there is positional
1: sleep hygiene. That's actually a thing. There are some people who have positional obstructive apnea, where if they're lying on their back, that's going to cause more of an issue. Now, if you think about it, when you're lying on your back, that's when you're really putting all the forces of gravity going against your airway, right? So now, everything is pushing down. And that makes you more likely to have your tongue fall back into that airway, as well as those muscles relax and more likely to close. So then that's going to put you in probably the worst position. If you are a back sleeper, it's really good if you have like a wedge pillow or something that can prop you up a little bit. So even something as small as like 25 or 30 degrees angled up is going to help you. That way, at least you take some of the weight off of that and you're able to sustain a more open airway in some instances. When you're thinking about side sleepers, side sleeping is probably a little bit more preferred um, as far as, you know. Comparison to back sleeping, and certainly better than stomach sleeping. But the side sleeping, I don't think personally it matters what side you're on. What matters is that you're not putting force on your face. So don't have like your hand collapsing against your uh, your cheeks, or you know you're resting on your arm any sort of weird way, because that's going to add undue pressure to those soft tissues, and it's going to overall impact on your muscle function.
0: Oh, there's so much to think about that I don't think we're probably thinking about when we sleep.
1: I told you nobody thinks about these muscles.
0: No and I had read I've read a number of times that if you're trying to sleep and keep your mouth closed and nose breathe when you sleep, you can try using just a really tiny little bit of mouth tape to hold the lips together. Do you experiment at that that with that at all with your clients or have you done any of that yourself?
1: I really try not to. So like I mentioned earlier, if you're mouth breathing, especially at night, there's most likely a reason why. And until you've seen an ENT or you've had a very thorough in-lab sleep study, you're really not going to know what's going on physiologically that's causing your mouth to be open. Your body is just trying to stay alive. And so closing the lips with the mouth tape. and In some instances, we find that people are not able to keep the mouth tape on. They wake up in the morning. They have no idea how the tape came off. Mm-hmm. It's your body. Your body said, uh-uh, no, we need to breathe. More than anything, we need to breathe. And you wind up ripping it off. You don't even know. You're not aware. But we don't know why you are not nasal breathing at night. And so it's better to really get that checked out to figure out what's going on. I would much rather you use the nasal hygiene, like saline sprays or irrigation, and then use maybe a nasal dilator, which is going to go inside the nose. And that's going to keep the nostrils a little bit more open. So hopefully you get more air through there, or you use those nasal strips, like the Breathe Right strips, and you put them over your nose, and that lifts the nostrils from the outside. But it does the same thing helps to keep them open. And so I'd much rather you do that than to close off your mouth, you'll find a lot more success by helping your nose breathe better than to just stop your mouth
0: amazing well I haven't tried it but I had read about it so I was curious to know your take being in the field so where do you see this area of health going in the next five to ten years
1: I am so optimistic that in the next five to 10 years, it is going to be something where when you get to your physician, so forget the dentist for right now, when you get to your physician and you're doing your annual physical and they ask you to open wide, when they start looking at your tonsils and so forth, that they start looking at the overall appearance of what's going on there. There are already physicians who are on top of these things, functional medicine providers, uh, more naturopaths and so forth who are leaning more towards looking in and saying, oh, you have a narrow mouth, you have a mandible that's a little too far back, you have a soft palate that is too long, and it looks like it's droopy. Droopy, for some reason, a lot of doctors are using like a medical term, and that is not a medical term. Your soft palate might be droopy, and they will start saying, It is time for you to now go see your dental professional who knows a little bit more about this. So they'll start making that transition, and every dental office will start asking within the next five to seven years. I'm 100% convinced every dental office will start asking questions about your tongue and where's the tongue positioned, and just making people more aware.
0: And if there are parents listening in who may have young kids, are there things that they can sort of start to look out for with their kids or encourage to try to help, you know, keep their airways, you know, and the nasal breathing going, their airways open?
1: Absolutely. As far as keeping their airways open, incorporate nasal hygiene. That is like my mainstay, biggest tip you can ever have. Even if it's just diffusing some peppermint oil or eucalyptus oil in the house, Having something is better than nothing. We need to get those nose. Um, we need to get the nose as patent as possible. What to look for? It's a clear, clear sign that something's going on when your child is sitting at rest with their mouth just agape. They are more likely than not mouth breathing. If nothing else, we know that when their mouth is open like that, their tongue is low. And that is not the appropriate posture to stimulate nasal breathing. So You could say maybe their mouth is open and there may possibly be getting some air through their nose, but it is not very likely. And so watching their posture, if they're sitting down having screen time and their mouth is agape. It's a problem. Those chubby, chubby cheeks that we have on some of these kids that you just want to go pinch their cheeks (laughs) after they get to about the age of three, those cheeks should be more mature. They should have a mature swallowing pattern, and those cheeks should be a little bit more flat. You shouldn't have those cute, chubby cheeks. Those are flaccid cheeks. Those are cheeks that need to be worked out a bit more. And there's probably some issues going on and underlying that if their lower jaw is a little too far back, or you notice that there's a large gap between their upper front teeth and their lower front teeth, that's a big sign as well as crowding of the teeth. So if their teeth are coming in overlap, or you're starting to get the sharp tooth appearance where when their two lower front teeth come in, they're in the back, and then the other two ones didn't come out yet. That's a very, very good sign. That something's going on and that we need to start addressing it.
0: Mm, interesting. And food wise, should we be encouraging? Does it make a difference if we encourage more foods that we need to chew or softer foods than that as well? it makes
1: a world of difference. We have to chew in order to develop those jaws appropriately. So all of those pouches, get them out of there. They don't need to be sucking on applesauce. Let them bite into an actual apple. All of that chewing is going to help stimulate and get all of their uh, bone development really growing. So when we think about babies and when babies have uh, tooth pain, we immediately give them something to kind of bite and chew and suck on. Those teethers, right? Why are we giving them teethers? I don't think anybody ever thinks about it. It's not just an old wives tale. You're giving them a teether because that biting or chewing on it is stimulating their jaw, it's stimulating bone development. And so it's helping the tooth to erupt. That way they can be out of that initial pain faster. That's not what we think about consciously as to why we're doing it, but that's science behind why we should do that. And so that doesn't end. If we want those jaws to keep growing, they've got to chew foods, they have to be able to get those jaws working and going on a daily basis. So no soft foods, people start giving these kids really good foods that they can chew. Raw carrots are like the top of the choices for crunchy hard foods for children.
0: Well, I think that's a great tip. And I think adults can probably take that on board too, because so many of our foods nowadays, you know, and so many of the processed foods, uh, besides being high in sugar, are soft. They're like biscuits and cakes and all of those types of things where you don't need to chew that much. Exactly. And
1: some of those even partially dissolve as you're chewing them. So when people think of hard foods, they're like, oh, like potato chips. And I'm always surprised when people think <laughs> potato chips are hard foods. Those are not hard foods. They partially dissolve. I mean, you can put it in your mouth and it's going to start to dissolve all on its own without chewing. So we need hard, crunchy, tough foods in our diets.
0: And I just want to ask too, uh, here in Australia, I'm not sure what it's like in the States, but kids probably from the age of about 11 or 12 start to get braces um, to obviously realign their teeth. So how does that work in with, you know, your experience with myofunctional therapy and should it, you know, if they're going to get braces, should it be done in conjunction with myofunctional therapy as well? Yes. So
1: actually the father of the whole braces and orthodontic system, Dr. Edward Engel, back in the early 1900s, was actually a part of why myofunctional therapy is what it is today. There was a lot of questioning of why, why is there malocclusion? Why are people developing teeth that aren't coming into the right positions? And it's not a thing about genetics. And it's not a thing about, you know, just the teeth are, they're born when they are where they are. It's actually the soft tissue pressures, and the continuous pressures that are put on the skull and those heart tissues that make a big impact on where those teeth wind up and how our skulls develop. And so it's incredibly important as to why they even become people who need braces when they're in that age, that these muscles have not been working well. And so yes, myofunctional therapy is phenomenal in conjunction with, so working at the same time with, an orthodontic treatment plan. So while you're in braces, it's a great, great time to do myofunctional therapy, because what you'll find is that when it's not done, you'll have adults who are later on saying, Oh, well, you know, everything shifted after, you know, I had five years of braces when I was a kid, and everything shifted. And people are accepting that as normal, but it's not normal, we should have the abilities to retain stability in our dental arches. And that only comes from having that tongue up against that palate, maintaining that stability. It's going to act as like a scaffold, really holding everything together.
0: Well, that's really interesting you say that because I have a few friends that had braces when they were young in their teenage years and now they're in their 30s and they've uh, the teeth have moved around and they've gone back and gotten in busy line, just kind of fixed up the movement that's happened the second time around.
1: Yes, yes, that's very common. I see that in my practice a lot and then once we start working together everything becomes more stable. And so sometimes people do have to do a second round of the braces or sometimes if people catch me early on then we may be able to, you know, help just get things a little bit more settled before you go into that second round.
0: Amazing. And I always uh, finish off our interviews by asking my guests if there's one thing that listeners after listening to this podcast could go away and instigate straight away, what would you recommend?
1: I think you already know what I'm going to say. Nasal (laughs) hygiene. (laughs) Start cleaning that nose. Get into the daily habit of cleaning your nose. We clean so many other parts of our bodies. We shower, we wash our hair, we brush our teeth, we clean everywhere else. We even clean out our ears. Some people use the uh, cotton swabs and clean out their ears. But this nose, it's so important. We have, you know, weeks we can go without food. We have days we can go without water. But not many of us, if any of us, can go but for a few minutes without air, And so if you're going to take care of something on your body, make sure it's your nose, because that is what's really giving and bringing and sustaining your life.
0: Oh, Amazing. I think that's a fantastic tip. And like you said, I don't think many people are are doing that. So it's a uh, good sort of step just to add into your daily routine.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Can you share with listeners where they can reach out, connect with you and um, grab your book as well? Absolutely.
1: So the book Accomplished, you can find on Amazon. It's available in a Kindle format and or paperback. It's available worldwide, globally. So feel free to get that from Amazon. You can reach out with me if you're interested. I do free consultations. You can schedule right on my website. It's themyospot.com, t h e m y o s p o t com it is a wonderful resource for information as well so if you're looking to learn more about myofunctional therapy you can look on my website or you can follow me on social media i'm on tiktok instagram and facebook at the
0: myospot amazing and with your consults in your practice do you do online as well as in person
1: i do i do yeah
0: because uh, I know just from listeners before they've sort of said to me oh I just don't think you know online would be as good as in person um, but I said it definitely can be because you can see everything and you know if you need to obviously examine stuff you can see all of that too.
1: Exactly you wind up learning a lot about yourself too when you do it through teletherapy so when you do it in person you know you always have the benefit of somebody to touch and to feel and to do and whatever but when we're so much more accustomed to all of this stuff virtual. And so when it's virtual, you're giving more information. So I'm handing you information. Does this feel like this? Does this feel like that? And you start to learn so much more about yourself and how your muscles move and how they feel. And so I actually prefer working virtually. I think that it is enlightening on all ends. I learn a lot and everybody else does too.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing such a wealth of information. It's been such a pleasure having you on. Thank you. I had a great time. Thanks for listening into the podcast. Please hit subscribe to be updated for each time we release a new podcast.